United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. The United Soccer Coaches advocates for coaches and, in many ways, for student athletes that work under coaches. That's why earlier this week, Lynn Berlin Manuel sent a note to the NCAA to say, hang on, in the D3 championship games, the semifinals, and then the championship game one day later, we need to change it. We need to change it right now. And on the show, right off the top, Patricia Hughes, who heads up college program services for the United Soccer Coaches, is joined by the Hall of Famer from William Smith, Alice Ann Wilbur, with over 600 wins, and then the head coach of the Amherst men's soccer team, talking about Justin Serpone. He, like Alice Ann Wilbur, has also won a national championship at the D3 level. He's got well over 200 wins. Both of them are absolute legends. They'll break down this topic of, hey, let's get an extra day between the D3 semifinal and the final. That's our opening segment. Our countdown to convention will feature the voice of God from United Soccer Coaches, Pat Madden, behind the scenes. He's been there 17 years at United Soccer Coaches. We get to know Pat Madden, and then we end with a 30 under 30 interview. Mario Zaninga Gill, an assistant coach with the Michigan women's soccer team that just put on a clinic winning the Big Ten tournament final in Piscataway on Sunday. That's our show, and it starts after this message from Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Team Snap is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. I am Dean Linky. This is the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. And as I mentioned in the open, we are kicking off with an all important issue, an issue that needs to be heard. And United Soccer Coaches made it heard on Monday as United Soccer Coaches spotlights D3 championship safety issues to the NCAA reading from the press release from United Soccer Coaches issued on Monday morning. United Soccer Coaches sent an urgent request to NCAA Executive Director Dr. Mark Emmert to change the NCAA D3 Men and Women's Championship format to add a rest day between the semifinals and finals. The association even offered to pay the $20,000 estimated expense to make the change for this year, like right now. In a letter from United Soccer Coaches CEO, Lynn Berlin-Manuel, she spotlighted the health and safety of the athletes, as well as the compromised championship experience. The change would add an additional day to the championship set to take place on consecutive days, December 3rd and 4th. It is the only, the only NCAA soccer championship that is decided by games on back-to-back days. Reading Lynn Berlin-Manuel's quote, she says, our job as a coaches association is to advocate for our members. The safety of their players is one of those critical issues. This is a small step for the NCAA that would make a big impact on the D3 soccer championship experience for players and coaches. 
and we have a star-studded panel to break down this all-important issue, and maybe and hopefully we can make it happen. Patricia Hughes, who heads up college programs for United Soccer Coaches, is on the program. Welcome, Trish. Thank you, Dean. Delighted to be here with you. And we are also here with Alisanne Wilbur, a regular. She is a United Soccer Coaches Hall of Famer. Earlier this year against Ithaca, she won win number 600. She's a two-time national champion head coach. And, of course, she will start in the D3 women's playoffs this weekend. And we're also pleased to be joined by Justin Serpone, who is the men's head coach at Amherst, one of the all-time winningest coaches in any NCAA division. He's now in his 15th season at Amherst. The guy is a winner, and he also starts NCAA Division Three play this weekend. Welcome, Alisanne, and welcome, Justin. Thank you. Thanks, Dean. Of course, Justin Serpone very wisely reminded me that combined, these two coaches have well over 800 wins and counting. Of course, Alice Ann at Hobart and William Smith, a rock star there. And as I mentioned, Justin getting it done at Amherst. Alice Ann, the women's coach, Justin Serpone, the men's coach. All right. Delighted to have all three of you on here. And Patricia Hughes, we'll start with you because as College Program Services Director for United Soccer Coaches, you told me a long time ago, we are going to focus on D2, D3, junior college. We're going to focus on issues that matter. And guess what, Trish? This issue matters. Hi, Dean. Thank you. Yeah, you better believe it. You know, we've we've been advocating for this change for many, many years. And when I came on board as College Programs Officer, you know, one of my goals was to look a little bit more broadly at all the divisions and look at opportunities where we could move the needle and and improve the student experience and certainly the, the platform for our coaches. When we went through the Kaplan review most recently, we had invited Alison in to represent Division Three and just talk about the soccer experience for the student athletes at the national championships. The direction of the Kaplan report obviously was geared towards gender equity. The hope was that by sharing her experience representing all of Division Three coaches, both men's and women's, it would put a light on the, if you will, the, the challenges and what some might perceive as the shortcomings that is part of the D3 national championship experience. When the Kaplan review came out and said that all is equitable and fair and fine in division three, I spoke directly with Lynn Burling Manuel and just shared that our division three national championship experience for our student athletes is certainly lacking, but more importantly, we put our coaches in a really compromising position where they are forced to make quick decisions. They are forced to, try to prepare a game day experience with less than 18 hours with which to turn around from a, a semifinal game. And I loved all of the quotes, but especially Justin's quote where he talked about, you've just finished with the second most important game of your life and you're trying to prepare for the most important game for any player's career. And you got to do it in 14, 16 hours in a manner that's safe. And that certainly doesn't compromise the student athlete experience. So for many reasons, we feel this is very important that the NCAA is on sports science talks about rest and recovery within and beyond 24 hours for soccer games. So we felt this was the right time and the right moment for us to really step up and lean in in a respectful way. You know, we're proud to stand and work collaboratively with the NCAA Championships Committee led by Ryan Tressel and our D3 colleagues. Again, we wanted to turn attention to this important cause. 
And uh, who better to speak to this, obviously, than our two colleagues here who represent Division Three on the call. Great setup, Trish. So we'll start with Alice Ann Wilbur, as I mentioned, the head women's soccer coach at Hobart and William Smith College and a true legend of the game. And kind of speaking for you to set you up here, Alice Ann Wilbur, as you say, having served as the chair of the NCAA D3 Women's Soccer National Committee, I know you have a ton of respect for the scope of NCAA governance. However, you are aware and obviously frustrated and disillusioned by the disconnect between the NCA mission and the health and well-being as experienced by the student athlete in D3 championship play. You've made those runs a lot of times. You know how grueling it is. I do. And while we are enormously appreciative, I think, of the opportunities to compete through the NCA championships and and I know how hard people on the championships committees, the sport committees work for that. Over these last decade and beyond, the sports science is just consistently clear. And it's out there for anybody to understand. And we're just running in two different directions with that. The quality of the experience, besides the, the well-being, the safety of the athletes, that this is the pinnacle. This is what men and women's College soccer players dream about being at Final Four. Coaches point their whole seasons year after year towards helping their teams have that experience. And we just owe a better overall experience to those college athletes. And I know it's complicated because it's not just soccer and D3 that is governed by this. So it's many sports. But in this case, we're here to talk about soccer. We're here to talk about it. And we're here to make something happen. And as Trish also said, two great people to talk about it. Justin Serpone, the head men's soccer coach at Amherst College, and also the former NCAA D3 Men's Soccer Committee National Chair. I'm going to read your quote, Justin, and have you add on to it. The idea of having appropriate rest during the Final Four weekend is something that our coaches groups have been talking about for years. D3 student-athletes deserve an incredible championship experience. It's just hard to do that when you're playing the most important game of your life less than 20 hours after finishing the second most important game of your life. Justin, I've looked at this schedule, and you throw in overtime in there, and you can even decrease those 20 hours to less than 20 hours. It seems almost ridiculous. That's why we're here right now, right? I just wanted to say how amazing it is to have the support of United Soccer Coaches, and I want to thank Trish for all of her attention and care in this issue because, you know, as a coach that cares so passionately about our student-athletes and our game and – their experience. It's so wonderful to be surrounded by colleagues and great people that want to advocate for the student athletes and the coaches. And it's pretty special. So I just wanted to say thanks. And yeah, I mean, I think for whatever reason, there's so much we all love about division three college sports, the NCAA, but somehow in, in the psyche of like how you think about the final four experience, it ends up being a war of attrition. Right. And, and there's some parts of that that you almost like relish. Oh, it's so hard. And you know, you're getting on a treadmill that feels like it's going 13 miles an hour when you get there and the first game kicks off. It doesn't have to be like that, though, right? Like, it doesn't have to be that the last team standing with 11 healthy bodies is the team that's going to make it through. We can do better. And I think this whole conversation and conversations like this speak to the fact that when you're part of something that you love and you're passionate about, it's not about being critical of that thing. It's you want so much to make it better. And you want so much to have these athletes that I admire so much. We've all made our lives work to give them the best possible thing that we can. 
And so we're going to advocate and try whatever we can to make it as perfect as can be. And so this is really just about how can we do better? And I think that we've identified a thing that seems to me like pretty low-hanging fruit. It would be, I think, universally better for everybody and certainly a worthwhile cause and something that's a long time coming. I really appreciated your opening comments on what Trish Hughes' mission is, and she stated that from the beginning to make sure that the other levels, as I stated earlier, get recognized. It's fascinating that as well as part of the release and the letter that went to the NCAA, there's also a quote from Anson Dorrance, who is, you know, clearly one of the faces of all soccer, not just college soccer, and he says, why anyone thinks that Division Three championships should be less concerned for the health of their athletes is beyond me. Soccer is a taxing contact sport, and everyone knows the risk you take while playing it. There are even discussions right now at a Division One level where we take two days off between games in the championship segment. So Division Three to stay with matches back-to-back is a ridiculous physical risk. And Trish, going back off of Justin's comments and then hearing Anson's comments as well, it's one thing to get all these quotes and send a letter. It's another thing to say, I want to make a difference. Then it's a whole nother thing to say, you know what? I'll pay the tab. If it's only $20,000, we'll pay it to make it happen. But we're only a month away. Do you think by saying that we'll pay the tab, we can make this happen? Do you think we can actually get it done this year? Well, Dan, as you recall last year, and I know you and I had worked very closely because you were uh, working several of the games last spring when we, we, it was a very bold and nimble move that was made by the championships committee led by Ryan Trestle to relocate the entire Division I Men's and Women's College Cup to the state of North Carolina. That was certainly no easy feat. They did an awesome job and everybody walked away from that championship experience saying, oh my God, this was amazing. We had a stacked men's and women's national championship game. There was an extra day of rest that was implemented in and the feedback was clear. It was an awesome experience, but more importantly, it showed that the NCA was willing to go above and beyond to ensure an awesome student athlete experience, but a safe experience, right? It was big, it was done on the fly. With that mindset, and certainly with our willingness to lean in and offer support, we are acknowledging that the NCA can and is capable of making changes when the pressure comes. But rather than criticize the NCA, we felt it was a great approach from us as an association to say, look, we're asking for this, but rather than throw daggers, we're willing to come to the table with a form of compromise and try to find a way to move the conversation forward. You know, whether or not we're able to accomplish this, I think what's most important, Dean, is that we're opening these conversations and that it is not just a D3 or a D1. This is a soccer conversation of what is in the best interests for the student athletes. I was very fortunate as a, as a soccer coach, not to the extent of, of these two champions on screen. I got to go to the national tournament one time. And what I will share with you is in that day in between, not only is it important for recovery, but it's a once in a lifetime experience that you get to be on the field in a recovery session where the mood is light, the kids are excited, your administration's there. It's all the fields about what is coming the next day. You go to a team dinner that night. That to me is an equal intangible of the national championship experience. It's not that you go to bed, you stuff a meal down your throat, you go back up and boom, you're on the field. And you're in this fog and your body's not recovered as coaches were mentally drained and exhausted trying to push our team from the semifinal into the final. So I think it's, it's not just one dimensional. I think it's all inclusive. The other piece of this is too, you know, I learned this morning that division one men's hockey just got approved for an extra day of rest for their national championship tournament weekend. So what's good for the goose? Why is it not good for the other side of the table? If we've identified the need to provide rest and recovery, 
for other sports. We know the average distance traveled by a soccer player is in six, eight, nine miles at the elite level. I can, I'm sure that's close, not accurate completely. So why can't common sense prevail? But I think what's most important is that we're willing to have the courage to stand up and say, we want to be part of the solution. We want to offer a good faith gesture to merely come to the table and address the issue, which is clearly the sport science is there. And we know the issue from that perspective, but really above all, it's the right thing to do for these student athletes and for the coaches who work so hard to prepare them. I love that sentiment. Justin, let's go back to you. And then Alison, you follow up because you both have won national championships. I like what she talked about, how you got to just jam food and then get ready. It kind of takes a little bit away from the glory of what you've just done, right? And all you're asking for is that one extra day. You guys have experienced it. We'll start with you, Justin. How, how hard was it? I've both won and lost the national championship game, Dean. So I've been on both sides of it. It's a little bit of a blur, right? What we're talking about is correct. And the game ends, you get everybody back to the hotel. You're, you're eating quickly. You're trying to do the scout. You're stretching out. You're getting them to bed as quickly as possible. Then you're back up the next morning. And, you know, if you're eating your pregame meal three hours before the match, it's pretty quick. It goes pretty quickly. Maybe you get a stretch in the morning, depending on if the women are at night, men are in the afternoon or vice versa. I guess you just would say that it starts when you leave for the first game and it doesn't end until that bus gets back from the last one. I'm not sure you really get to enjoy it, but you're acutely aware that that's what the deal is. And so teams that are able to sort of adjust and find ways to fight that adversity are going to be more successful. That begs the question of like, why are we building in like added adversity into something that, that should be a celebration of the student athlete experience? And like, like you said, like Trish said, just feeling great about being there and, and being present and being able to enjoy, holy smokes, we get the chance to, to go try to win a championship and being able to reflect on it. It's just tough. It's just a tough ask, I think. And 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 like you said, if you talk to Division One or Division Two people about it, they look at you like you have three heads. Like, what? You do what? Like, I don't even understand. That makes me feel a little bit badly because I'm so proud of the, the Division Three product and all of our kids. And it's like, we're not inferior. Alisan's got 25 Division One kids in her roster. We feel like we've got the same, but kids wanted a little bit more balance in their experience. Just because you want balance from academic, social, athletic standpoint, doesn't mean that you should be shortchanged in what your athletic experience is. So I think that's why we're, we're fighting so hard for this. Alisan, before you answer, I want to jump in and add on kind of the talk we had before we went on the air. And, you know, you've got 600 wins and you've done all these great things, but you were just talking about just your side of the bracket, let alone getting to the championship and having a one-day turnaround if you make it there. So when you think about that whole perspective, you battle through that bracket, and then boom, semifinal, final the next day, adds even more pressure to what these young student-athletes have to undertake to hold that championship trophy. Absolutely. I mean, it gins up for three weeks or you could start with the conference championship. When I look at what we're asking for our kids in postseason play to make it all the way through to the national championship, it's almost half of a regular season for us. We play 16 games in regular season. So it's about half of another season added on at a time when your kids are already fatigued from the accumulation of regular season. They're, the weather in much of the country, whether it's Midwest, Northwest, Central, Northeast, is getting worse. 
it's getting closer to the end of the semester. So it's a succession of challenges that we're adding on and on to our, to our kids. So, you know, to have this opportunity to be someone who can stand up and be counted, like I think Trish has led the charge on this and Lynn has led the charge on this. Like we feel strongly in, enough about this that we're willing to, you know, put our head above the parapet here and, and say, this is important. Let's put a real spotlight on and furthermore have the commitment to offer a solution. I think that's really compelling from United Soccer Coaches. But the way it works for you in at Final Four is it's generally a hard day of travel. Most schools either have flights and who knows what that's like anymore. You can't even get your whole team on the same flight or a long, long bus ride. Thursday is very hectic. You know, the whole morning sessions of get around, get around, get around. Got to get to get to the game field, walk the game field, get your hour of training in, move, move, move. The afternoon part that my kids absolutely always love is the community service, but that is another whole part of being on and active and energized. And then we get to the banquet Thursday night. So, you know, Friday in the semifinals, it's really, really challenging more so, I think, for the, for the teams who get the later games. We had one experience where we were the late game and two games each in front of us went into double overtime and then PKs. We never left that stadium till I think it was 11 o'clock at night. So we had a dinner reservation. Restaurant said we were sending our help home. We can't wait. So bad enough we lost. But now we're driving around the city of San Antonio trying to find a place that can accommodate us at 1130 at night. But the team that advanced still had to figure out what they were going to do and how to prepare in, in a very minimal amount of time. We can do better. We can do better. And we need to do better for our student athletes. So, Dean, interestingly enough, I, I had met with Lynn early last week and we pulled together a team of colleagues at the association and we, we talked about the importance of this initiative and where do we go from here. And, and again, I, I'm super proud of, of, of Lynn for her courageous leadership and willingness to stand up and, and say she was, was going to align with the coaches. And, and really, this is the work we should be doing as a coaches association. We are there to advocate. It's important that I carry on that, that work. But I think we can do this in a very respectful and meaningful way and be catalysts for change. Catalysts that it's not just change for change. This is change that is absolutely warranted and needed. I'm proud of Missy Price, who, as you know, is our president who is also a Division Three coach. I'm proud of Lynn, Jeff and Dusen, and, and the folks who, who have stood with me. And we are, we are committed to this and, and finding a new way to, to move forward. So We're here with Patricia Hughes, who is the Director of College Program Services for United Soccer Coaches and two of the legends of the D3 game, United Soccer Coaches Hall of Famer at William Smith, Alisan Wilbur, and Amherst men's head soccer coach, Justin Serpone. We'll be back with more on this all-important issue as United Soccer Coaches spotlights D3 championship safety issues to the NCAA. Hello, college coaches. This is Dean Linky with a special reminder. Registration is now open for the United Soccer Coaches College Services Program. 
Registered programs have access to a variety of benefits, including eligibility for awards and rankings, individual membership discounts, a dedicated liaison working on your behalf with organizations like the NCAA, NAIA, NJCAA, and so much more. United Soccer Coaches helps you develop your entire coaching game the way you help your student-athletes grow as people. For more information or to register, please visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash college. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. We are addressing the United Soccer Coaches spotlighting D3 championship safety issues. Lynn Burling Manuel sent a letter to the president of the NCAA earlier this week. I'm going to read the letter and then ask our special panel, Trish Hughes, along with Alice Ann Wilbur and Justin Serpone, to address this letter and the steps moving forward. Lynn Burling Manuel writes to Dr. Emmert saying, Dear Dr. Emmert, as CEO of United Soccer Coaches, the National Coaches Association for Soccer, I have an urgent matter to bring to your attention. As the men's and women's NCAA soccer championship approach, D3 soccer teams will once again be required to have back-to-back semifinals and finals. Both D1 and D2 are given a rest day in between, but D3 is not. This defies the scientific research the NCAA has produced on rest and recovery, The physical and mental toll on soccer players that do not have reasonable rest between games of this magnitude puts students, athletes, in serious jeopardy. Our coaches deplore the physical risk and the diminishing of the championship experience for their players. We assume that it must be the financial impact of an additional day of rest for these athletes, as there is no other explanation for the discrepancy between D1 and D2 and D3. We have calculated it is approximately a $20,000 expense. United Soccer Coaches would be very happy to cover that $20,000 expense for this year to make it even easier to make the change starting with this year's championship schedule. We can transfer that money to you at any time. With great admiration, we observe the nimbleness of the NCAA to restructure timing, location, formats, and other championship details due to the COVID-19 pandemic. It was possible to act with great speed when the issues were large enough. For our coaches, the health, welfare, and experience of D3 athletes is equally large And we ask that there is change to the championships this year. Our concern is with the health and safety of D3 athletes, both men and women, and the almost shocking discrepancy between their championship experience and that of the other divisions. I hope you are as concerned as we are and can take the immediate actions necessary to fix it for 2021. Off of that, Trish Hughes, who heads up the college services programs for the United Soccer Coaches, You've been very diplomatic, as you always are, on this call, and you're really just asking for a seat at the table to make something very important happen. Yeah, so I think the letter is very clear and precise in terms of what the ask is. You know, the NCAA, it's it's been a very tumultuous year for the NCAA, obviously, with uh, phase one and phase two of the Kaplan report. They have been super busy, but there's a heavy focus on division one. And of course, there's a lot of alignment and movement, as you know, within conferences, with football programs, But it's very important that we don't lose sight of the student-athlete experience in the other divisions. Obviously, in this particular instance, we're talking about Division Three. We're not looking to add to the grief and the heartburn that's currently been experienced by those as people wait for the outcome of the Constitutional Convention on November 15th. But merely as we apply common sense, we apply the the very own own sports science of the NCAA and, and just talk about what is absolutely the right thing to do. This is not meant to be a contentious issue, Dean. It's meant to be an opportunity for us to really lean in and and come to the the table in a very collaborative way, which is why we were willing to 
to diplomatically approach um, Dr. Emmert. But I will say with that, we also included in Louise McCleary, who's the interim vice president of Division Three, JP Williams, who oversees championships for the NCA, and Ryan Tressel and the other folks who work directly with us for these respective championships. We understand that there's more at play than just a decision to open up the final four. However, at the root of this, it's student-athlete and welfare and student-athlete safety, which is ultimately the NCA's own language. And we want to work in a manner that is respectful. I have a wonderful relationship with my colleagues at the NCA. I think as we come to the table, can we open dialogue that is inclusive and not restrictive in nature? It shouldn't be that in order to do this, we take away something else so that we can find the resources. So if, if resources are the issue this year, in what is obviously a challenging year for the NCA, then we're willing to come to the table with a solution, with a goal to a long-term opportunity to move the needle and, and again, do what's right. And, and I'll say it again, we added in an extra day for Division I men's ice hockey. It's a big sport, big revenue generator, I understand, for the NCA, but it doesn't go away from what is right and what is not right. The right thing for us to do here is to expand the tournament particularly when you've got four games, four semifinal matches being played back to back that start early in the morning. And to Alice's point, if one or two of those games goes overtime or into penalties, that fourth game just keeps getting pushed back. So ultimately it's the third and fourth game teams, depending on what the cycle is that year, men first, women second, somebody's getting a really, really compromised experience. And that's what we want to say. We want to come to the table. We want to partner with, with our colleagues there. But I think ultimately it's the folks who have the oversight for the championships, who have oversight for the sports committees that we want to connect with and find ways to come up with solutions to that will ultimately, as we know, benefit the student athletes. I would like to follow up first. I think since Trish has come on board with United Soccer Coaches as our college's director, I have really appreciated the, the care and the attention that she has consistently given to Division Three. We're not treated as an afterthought, and I think it is increasingly becoming clear to our Division Three membership that we have a, a newly focused attention on the quality of the experience for our student-athletes. So I'm very appreciative of that, and it does matter, I think, in terms of because as Justin alluded to earlier, like this war of attrition, when I look at in women's division three soccer championships, you will see teams that have been there a lot that have figured out how to manage that compression. So Messiah's run of multiple championships, they figured it out. Wheaton, Illinois, several national champions, they figured out Williams, three in a row, I think, figured it out. The reason we won in 2013 was because of the failed attempts prior to that. I think we were there three out of four years. And we finally figured out how do you manage this compression that is so different for your student athletes? So is that the way it's supposed to be? I would argue that doesn't feel like everybody is at the same table, right? So it's another way to look at it but I'm just passionate that we're putting a spotlight on doing something I think that's achievable and the right thing 
for the experience of our student athletes. It's such a fantastic moment in time for them, a weekend in time. I also would say, I was looking back at my email, this is a topic that has been on people's minds, coaches' minds for the last 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's so hard in today's world to get everyone to agree on one thing. And yet when we've come together at the convention, when we've had conversations within the sport committee groups, the idea of the day of rest at the, at the final site is unanimously been people have, have jumped onto, right? And I think it's important to say this isn't something that's new, but the energy that Trish and United Soccer Coaches have, have put into it has given it some light. That release was saying yesterday, I probably got 15 different texts or notes saying, hey, this is amazing. I got one from Brandon Bianco who worked really hard on this, on this issue that just said, wow, with like 10 exclamation points after it. People are really excited about the prospect. I say to my own kids, and every time you have a, you have a, a challenge or predicament, one of two things are, are true, right? It's either something you can control or it's something you can't control, right? This is something we can control with thoughtfulness and reflection and, and, and helping each other find ways to the right outcome. And the right, when I say right outcome, for the student athletes, like we're not, I'm good. Like I actually, I could coach every day for, you know, 25 straight days. It's not that, you know, it's not that hard. Just ask, uh, my wife will tell you what I do is not that hard. So, but for the student athletes, they're the ones that are, are running around. They're the ones that are, are playing 110, 90 minutes, whatever. That, that's a, that's a tough ask. It's time that we give this topic and, and, and thankfully, hopefully getting to that opportunity to give the topic the attention it deserves. Dean, may, may I add to this? You know, I, I was very fortunate to serve as a director of athletics at Salem College, which is a Division three school in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And, and one thing that I, I will share from an association standpoint, when we look at the numbers of soccer programs nationally, Division three is our largest college soccer population. We have over... 400 programs on both sides of the fence, close to, compared to Division I men and women. And at an institutional level, soccer programs are revenue drivers for the colleges that they serve. They are enrollment drivers. Athletic departments, look, when they're looking to add sports, soccer is one that is front and center because our, our coaches are carrying rosters that are usually in excess of 30 players. If they have a JV program, you know those numbers are even higher. So again, why we, we create this space for Division three programs, athletic programs, they are such an important space for athletic programs or for the institutions. They drive enrollment. They add to the campus culture and vibrancy. They are some of our best student athletes on campuses, higher rates of retention, higher grade point averages than the, the overall student body when we look at the GPAs. But then to go to the NCAA tournament and then become not deliberately, but what might be perceived as this second-class citizenship in the soccer community, it's just absurd, and it really is not fair. The institutions have no problem with it. They want their, their kids going and having, or their student-athletes, a big pardon, the young men and women having an awesome student experience. So we've just created this, we've kind of backed ourselves into a corner with the NCA, and while this has happened in the past, the right thing for us to do going forward is to create a space that really gives them the opportunity and the experience that they deserved. We're not looking for a fight here. We're looking for an opportunity to lean in and be at the table and find ways to create a new uh, experience for, for these young men and women, and certainly for our coaches. I mean, the role that our coaches serve, they're leaders, they're advocates, they're mentors, they're, you know, so many, there's so many ways in which they serve our student athletes. 
to be able to go away and, and have that shared experience for with the extra day of rest, I think really would just be the, you know, the creme de la creme of that ultimate experience for these kids. Trish, the letter's been sent. Now what next steps? Sure. So I, you know, I think out of respect for the NCA and it's a large organization and it's multi-layered in terms of leadership, the conversations I think will need to be had obviously at the championship level for the D3 folks. And then certainly collaborating with, I would suspect, upper level administration at the NCA. You know, our goal is to, to give them time to reflect and to, I would assume, mull over what is next for them. I do think for us next steps, regardless, is obviously this has gone out as a press release. It's gaining a tremendous amount of traction on social media platforms. But I think the now what is, what's most important here is the voices of the student athletes. I think they are the ones who are in the weeds. They are grinding it out. And I think it's important that if there's any doubt in anybody's mind what this experience is, I, I would encourage folks to, to listen to the voices of the student athletes. I think that's what's, what's most important. And, and we will try to create opportunities for these student athletes to, to have their voices heard. It's never far from coaches' minds that we do this for the student athletes. And I think one of the wonderful parts about this moment in time, in so many different wonderful ways, our student athletes have found a voice in a lot of different arenas in, in, in life. And I think this is, this is just another one for them to sort of be heard from. It may affect them. It may affect the people and the students come after them, the athletes come after them. But this is an important time to, to get their take on this. I, I agree with that. I think all of us have been consistent in our desire to come across to the NCA is very respectful of their management and the challenges in front of them. I would say I grew up where my mom always said, if I am not for me, then who will be? And I feel that this is a time for our student athletes to be engaged. As coaches, we certainly are out there advocating for them for the, the best quality of experience that can be provided for them. They have a place at the table too. They, they need to use their voice. My, my husband created a, a hashtag, equity for, as in the numeral for, D3. I think it's pretty catchy. So, you know, can we get SAC involved? Can, you know, we put it out to our, to our student athletes and to our alums to join the chorus here. And it's important that they advocate for themselves as well. I just got to say in closing on my end that, you know, I'm a, a huge fan for division three. I think there's no purer experience than the, the student athlete experience for these amazing young men and women. They're killing it in the classroom. They're getting it done at a really high level on the field under the leadership of, of these coaches. And, uh, you know, for us as an association, this is what advocacy looks like, and we're not going to back down. We're going to continue to push and in the name of the game and, and just try to take soccer into a new era in the 21st, 22nd century, I guess, at this point. So I'm grateful for, for you all and the opportunities to be here in this space. So for us, you know, at this point, we just want the NCAA to do what's right for Division Three soccer. It's time for this change to occur. United Soccer Coaches Advanced Diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your player's development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced-diplomas for more information. 
Time now for the Countdown to Convention, a weekly interview on the United Soccer Coaches podcast that features the United Soccer Coaches Convention, which will take place January 19th through 23rd in Kansas City. Every week during this time, our host, Dean Linky, will take a deep dive with someone or a group of people that will be featured at this year's convention. Remember to register early for the convention by going to unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. Now, here's Dean with this week's Countdown to Convention. This is our Countdown to Convention part of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. And I'm so pleased to be joined by one of my all-time good friends with United Soccer Coaches, formerly NSCAA, a man who deserves the spotlight, doesn't often get it, doesn't seek it, but deserves it. Pat Madden, 17 years he's been with the association. His title is the College Programs Coordinator, which is fitting as we just came off that great discussion on why D3 should get an extra day between their championship games. A man who knows about everything related to everything there is with United Soccer Coaches, including the convention. Pat Madden, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Dean. It's a pleasure on my end as well. Well, one of the names we also call you is the voice of God on Friday night of the convention. We have the awards banquet, Saturday, the All-American, and it's your wonderful voice that pipes in all the great information about all of the award winners. You've been doing that several years too, right? I have been. I honestly don't remember how long it has been. I will tell you, though, that I credit that to uh, past president Jeff Farnsworth. Jeff stopped me one Friday night late. I think we were in a president suite. And he said, you know, you really ought to be doing this rather than being behind the scenes. So then executive or our CEO, Joe Cummings, he went to Joe and he said, I want him, if it's all right with you, to do this. And, and Joe said, absolutely. So that started... Uh, Started me being in the back of the house on Friday nights. And then even more rewarding for me is Saturday afternoon with the All-America ceremony. Uh, we get to this time of the year and it is, it's, we are in a very hectic period. Uh, we just concluded nominations for the Division I Women's All-Americans and also the Division Three Men and Women's All-Americans. Uh, we will just now open up nominations for the Division I Men all-Americans and Division II men and women All-Americans. And for about the next month or so, you know, coaches asking for this and for that. And, you know, this is incorrect and you change that. And it, they become very long days, but the reward comes at noon on Saturday of the All-America Luncheon when you get to have Ray Sieplick up there starting to explain to mom and dad, the coaches, the aunts and uncles, grandma and grandpa about how important this is and how this is a tradition. And then you start seeing those young men and women start walking towards you. And uh, that's when you start reminding yourself, that's what this whole last 90 days is about, is to honor these young men and women. There have been some pretty powerful ones in there. Uh, I remember one, uh, actually the ones that I really like the most, that are most powerful, are the uh, young men and women who come from the, the service academies. The Naval Academy, uh, usually they come in full dress. Uh, we've had some young men and women from the Coast Guard Academy in Division Three, and they will come in full dress as well. And it, it's very impressive to see that, especially when you start realizing that these young men and women, as soon as they walk out of here as seniors and they graduate from Annapolis or from the Coast Guard or from West Point, are going into active military service and they're protecting our and defending our country. So that, that gives me chills just thinking about that, uh, that you get a chance to see them in their Naval, their Coast Guard, their Army, 
their Air Force. We've had them from the Air Force Academy as well come up there, and it's just wow. Then you also have the young men and women who are multiple All-America winners. They are both All-America and Scholar All-America winners, and some we've had that are three-time and four-time All-Americans. That's the impressive part is when you can come back and announce that to a crowd and say, and returning for her fourth time as a Scholar All-America so-and-so. It really is. It's, it's very rewarding. I will say that. Indeed. And these 90 days are part of the countdown to convention. That's why I wanted to have you on because nobody tells stories better than you as well, Pat Madden. 17 years. Pat, give me the elevator version, the shortened version of your career. Where'd you come from and how'd you get here? I actually, uh, coming out of college, was in sports media relations. That's what I did, mostly in the, the Midwest uh, at Pittsburgh State University back when it was an NAIA school. I uh, went to the University of Kansas as a graduate assistant, uh, got out of the business for a couple of years and then came back to work at the NAIA. And through the NAIA, that's how I met Steve Veal, who is the awards manager now. And Steve and I have known each other for far longer than we care to admit. Uh, I got into uh, professional sports. I was with a professional hockey team here in Kansas City, then got back into college at Missouri Western State University. And then I got an opportunity to work at my alma mater at University of Missouri, Kansas City for five years before I came to work at the NSCAA. And now known as the United Soccer Coaches, it's the Countdown 2 Convention. The United Soccer Coaches Convention will be in Kansas City this year. As somebody who's lived in Kansas City for a long time, what does that mean to you? Oh, it's very special. You get an opportunity to uh, have everybody come back to the heartland of America. Uh, those people who were here the last time the convention was here 10 years ago, things have really changed in the downtown Kansas City area. Uh, for those of you who've been here, you know what I'm talking about. There's now an entertainment district. We have a streetcar line that goes from our offices here at Union Station downtown. The convention center has expanded the hotels in the downtown area uh, have doubled in the number of hotels and the number of rooms that we have here too. The only thing we can't promise you is uh, 70 degree weather and sunshine every day in January. That's a little, uh, little tough to do in the Midwest. I very much think of Jeff Van Dusen as a Kansas City man as well. He will be running the convention again also on January 1. He'll become the new CEO of United Soccer Coaches. What does that mean to you? That's tremendous. Uh, I was thrilled when Jeff was announced as being selected as the new CEO. Uh, I've known Jeff again a long time, almost as long as I'd known Steve. Uh, it goes back to the days when he was coaching on the men's side at Missouri Southern State University and then uh, coaching at the University of Central Missouri and the University of Indianapolis. I first met Jeff uh, through one of our former communications officers here at the uh, association, a gentleman named Mike McFarland, who some of you may know. Mike is now the director of athletics at Bloomsburg University. He and Jeff had gotten together a long, long time ago, and Mike had put him to work as one of the people at uh, the packet stuffing area convention. Jeff was extremely eager and willing to do anything, and uh, that's how he started. And then he kind of moved his way up the ranks to uh, uh, operations, uh, where I was uh, helping uh, Rudy Zimmerman with uh, the scheduling aspect of things, moved into the area of managing uh, a, a, an area. Uh, actually, he, he was in charge of the packet stuffing, and he under uh, part of Jeff's umbrella was when we began to have local organizing committees 
that had an opportunity to oversee far more than we could ever do. And uh, Jeff really took that ball and ran with it. I can't say enough about how wonderful Jeff is and uh, what a fine person he is and really what a ringing endorsement it is for this association. Jeff Van Dusen is United Soccer Coaches through and through. We're here with Pat Madden, the college programs coordinator for United Soccer Coaches, been with the association for 17 years, doing whatever it takes to make things happen. Just before you, Patricia Hughes was on with Alisanne Wilbur and Justin Serpone. As you know, this week they wrote the letter to the NCA asking for the extra day. One of the things I love about you, Pat, I can call you about D2, D3, NAIA, Junior College. You know every coach. You know probably almost every assistant coach as well. You love that about this job, don't you? You really do get to interface at every level. I really enjoy that. Uh, that's kind of one of my secret pleasures is getting an opportunity. I mean, people know Division One. Uh, it's Division Two and Division Three where you have an opportunity to kind of. They don't get the recognition that the Division One uh, level does, and that's certainly no offense because there are certainly some great stories to tell at the Division Two and Division Three levels. Uh, between the two of uh, Allison and Justin, uh, there's probably about uh, 750, 800 wins there. Of course, Allison has 600 of those. <laughs> but at the same time, there's a lot of history, there's a lot of dedication, and there is a lot of uh, goodness that goes with that level as well. Keep in mind, for the most part, the Division Three, those players want to play there. Uh, they're there primarily to get an education first and foremost, not to say that that's not the case at divisions one and two as well, but at the division three level, they, they really do a lot of times fly under the radar. Uh, you know, if you could ask somebody on the street even and ask them who, who's been the most successful uh, football program at the division three level. They can't tell you, but there's some pretty good ones at the division three level. Same thing at division two. The challenge this year has been in Division Three. Uh, I'm not sure that any all of us are aware of this or not, but um, during right before the pandemic, uh, the NCAA uh, took Division Three and broke it from eight regions of the country geographically into ten regions. They had had a couple of regions that were getting a little too big as far as the number of institutions that were within that region. So, uh, finally, getting an opportunity to Ask the when Steve and I would go through veal and I would go through um, checklists. I had finally got to the point where I was able to tell him, okay, this team's in this conference. Amherst is in this conference. William Smith is in this conference. They're in this region. They're in that region. Now it's kind of a little different because they went from regions that are geographically named. They don't have a South Atlantic region anymore. That's region six or it's region nine or region 10. Uh, but in the end, the most important thing at that level is providing an opportunity for awards for those players, the coaches, and the teams. And there's more of an opportunity for that with 10 regions of the country as opposed to eight. Uh, Division two, the same way. I was uh, gotten to know a lot of them. Uh, having worked at a Division two institution and a lot of those being old NAIA schools, I recognize a lot of them. Uh, you know, there, it's... Uh, I can tell you where a lot of those schools are located. I can tell you nicknames and those sorts of things. Not that I, you know, it's not trivia or anything of that sort, but it is kind of fun to say, oh, yeah, you know, that, that uh, Wynn gets the Bulldogs and they're in Wingate, North Carolina. You know, or I've been on that campus at Boiling Springs, North Carolina, when Gardner-Webb was an NAIA school, now that they're a Division I school.
So it's, it's just, it just gives me a lot of enjoyment. I will tell you that the most important thing for me in my life is that I can get up in the morning and not have to say, yeah, I got to go to work. No, it's, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm doing something I want to do and I enjoy it. And so it's a cliche and you've heard it before, but I don't really think I've worked a day in my life. I love it. I love it. As we're counting down the convention with Pat Madden. Pat, if you've listened to podcasts, you know, one of my favorite questions is about the M's, memories and mentors. So I'm going to ask you the same question as we wrap up our time and count down the convention and particularly related to the convention. What's your best memory at a convention? Maybe somebody you met uh, at a convention that we've had some pretty big time celebrities come through throughout the years. Uh, when you think about the convention, is there one memory that comes to mind? The memory I have is it uh, toward the ends of the week. Uh, there has become a tradition uh, where the president has a suite in the hotel. And on Friday night after the awards banquet, uh, it, it's unofficially that you're invited to the suite, no matter who that president is. And you get an opportunity to go up and at least kind of have an opportunity to unwind and to socialize and have some fellowship with some greats of this association. And, and then you really kind of get to know well, how they operate, you know, how do they tick? Uh, people like Paul Payne and George Perry, Jeff Farnsworth, the year he was president, and it, it's just a whole lot of fun. The opportunity to get together and have fellowship with people I've gotten to know as friends and really a soccer family. Well, that's so well said. Let's end with this because like you said, as you broke down your career, you're not a soccer coach, but you're an important part of what United Soccer Coaches do. So when you hear those three words, United Soccer Coaches, what does it mean to you, Pat Madden? It, it means everything in the world to me. Uh, it, it's a, it, it's a, not really a job for me. It's a position. It's a love. Uh, there are so many men and women and boys and girls that have had the opportunity in this association to get educated, to advance their coaching careers, to be able to understand what the game of soccer means, not just in this country, but all over the world. That's another important part, too, is that we United Soccer Coaches, we're not just the United States and Canada. We've got members from a, a whole bunch of different countries. And it's nice to see everybody come together at convention time and get an opportunity to see each other again. When you walk those halls and you see people in those loving embraces, it's so nice to see the camaraderie of everybody, an opportunity to see somebody you haven't seen in two, three, four years. That's what this association means to me. Pat Madden, the college programs coordinator in his 17th year, the voice of God at the awards banquet on Friday night and the All-American ceremony that he started with as one of his favorite parts of the convention, which will be in his hometown of Kansas City. Pat Madden should have happened a long time ago. Thanks so much for being on the Countdown to Convention and the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Dean, it's always a pleasure to talk with you, and thank you very much. It was an honor. It was my honor. Speaking of honors, the newest 30 Under 30 class is filled with rock stars, including Mario Zaninga Gill, who's an assistant coach with the Michigan women's soccer team that just won the Big Ten tournament on Sunday and got a number two seed. I saw him in Piscataway. What a great, young, talented man. Jen Klein knew it when he interviewed, and now he's a key part of the staff. 30 Under 30 member Mario Zaninga Gill when we return. That's this week's Countdown to Convention for the 2022 United Soccer Coaches Convention, January 19th through 23rd in Kansas City. Register today at unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org.
Looking for ways to improve your training session? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for more than 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential to every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to elevate your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. If you've listened to this show over the years, my favorite time of the year is getting to know all of our newest members of the 30 under 30 class. No different today where we've got a timely interview is Mario Zuninga Gill, who has recently served as the head girls coach at Father Gabriel Richard High School in Ann Arbor and is currently the Chelsea High School head boys coach, is in his first season as Michigan's women's soccer volunteer assistant coach. Why is that noteworthy? Well, Michigan just put on a clinic in front of 5,100 people in Piscataway, winning the Big Ten tournament, their first Big Ten tournament since 1999. So he's working with Jen Klein and a great staff at Michigan, and he's a member of our 30 under 30 class. The timing couldn't be better. Mario, let's first start with congratulations. How does it feel, before we even get to the 30-30, how does it feel to be known as a member of the Big Ten Tournament Champion Michigan Wolverines women's soccer team? Thanks, Dean. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, it feels awesome. It feels incredible. Uh, I think everybody here is just trying to um, understand how big that is, trying to uh, uh, rationalize it. And, and it's just, you know, it's been an amazing few days just celebrating with the girls and and. and you know, even yesterday at the selection show, we were having so much fun. So let's just reflect on that game, and then we're going to hear your story. But I got to be there, which I don't always get to be there. I feel like I had the best seat because I really, and if you listen to the broadcast, you'll hear me talk about it really directly relating to, to Michigan because you dominated the game. I mean, even in the second half when Rutgers needed to have that urgency, you guys, I felt, still dominated the game. I mean, Michigan plays beautiful soccer. You're on the bench. You know these young women. You know these coaches. This is what you want to be and do. To be a part of that and to have that kind of performance, can you put into words what that was like? Yeah, it's, it's been a process. It's been a up-and-down season in some ways, but I think we were always very aware of uh, the great potential that we had as a team. As in Rutgers this season, uh, there was a, a bit of a story to it because we, we did travel to New Jersey early in the season and, and we were there. We were ready to play, ready to warm up, uh, and there was a huge storm. Uh, and, and then when the storm was gone, the field was totally unplayable. So we had to fly back to Ann Arbor. We couldn't play that game. We were really excited because uh, you could already tell that they were a great team. You could tell that we were going to be very good as well. Uh, and, you know, it's middle, you know, it's a packed season. There's so many things going on. And then you have to find the time to fly back out to New Jersey. Um, we find we found that time in the middle of a week. Uh, we flew out there. We played that game. The first half was very even, very back and forth, uh, one to one and a half. And then we just did not play a good second half. And they beat us four to one, which is obviously a, the biggest loss we had this season. So we were very motivated by that uh, coming out to New Jersey for the third time in the fall. We had, uh, we knew how consistent they have been. We knew exactly who their best players were. We knew their formation, their system of play. We knew they were obviously very good. You don't go 12-0 uh, for no reason. Uh, but we were very confident in our team. We were very confident in our players. We had really uh, built up uh, our play. We were really improving every single game, every single day. And coming into 
you know, Penn State first in the quarters, then going uh, back to New Jersey and playing Purdue and uh, thankfully Rutgers. Uh, I think we all felt very confident that we had a very good soccer team and we felt very confident that we could do what we did. All right. I really hope you guys make a deep run as a number two seed. It would be great to see you out in Santa Clara. A little bit more on Mario. He's uh, originally from Spain, which is awesome. As I told him in Piscataway, my wife was born in Spain. So I love that. He's also the director of coaching of the Chelsea soccer club. He's held multiple jobs in Michigan since the 2015 season, including director positions with the chill SBC in Lansing and kingdom SC in Kalamazoo. He was also an assistant coach with Madonna University in 2018. He holds a degree in translation and interpretation from the University of Granada, Spain, and is a master's degree candidate in soccer coaching education from my alma mater, Ohio University. Additionally, he boasts a UEFA A license, which is strong. So let's hear your story, Mario. You were born in Spain and tell your story and how you came over here. Don't leave anything out, my man. I been in Michigan, as, as you know, uh, as you said, for seven years, doing a lot of things. But before, just started coaching uh, back in my hometown, Granada, with my uncle. He's the one that got me into coaching. I think at some point in my life, as I was finishing college, I w- didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I wasn't really sure. But my uncle kind of got me into it. I really started enjoying it. And I did it for like over a year with him, just being an assistant coach. And I didn't really think of it much other than this is something I really enjoy doing. But, you know, I got to go back to the real world and get a real job, per se. Uh, at some point, I was going through some some kind of a crisis, just really not knowing what was going to happen. And one day I just remember I woke up and I said, why don't I just pursue coaching as a profession? Uh, and that's how I remember it. I actually don't know if that's how it happened, but in my mind, that's exactly how it was. How it was. I woke up one day and I was like, I want to do this. So I started looking into licenses. I started just getting more serious about it. Um, just trying to connect with more coaches around uh, my city. I started to just really put a lot of time and, and dedication into it. I know that, you know, especially in Spain, when, when coaching as a career is not that common. There's a lot of coaches. There's a lot of teams but the setup is just different There's, you know if you want to make it a career you've got to be in the professional level which is obviously very hard to make um, but uh, as I left my uncle and started coaching my own team I started pursuing my licenses uh, I started with the basic one I continue with uh, there's a you know the, the system work, works very differently in Spain uh, got my B got my A license and uh, when I was uh, finishing my A license there was a program sponsored by UFA that would send um, some coaches uh, abroad to other countries just to kind of see how it was, uh, how, it, how it looked in, in other places. Uh, and uh, because I had studied, I had studied languages in college and I've uh, always been very interested in other cultures and other languages, uh, I decided to go give it a go. And I went to England. Uh, I did an internship with uh, Burton Albion, uh, which is a professional club in England. Uh, I was there for a month and I really enjoyed it. And well, while I was in uh, in that internship, there was a contact that came up and, and it was a contact that was bringing uh, European coaches into the U.S. for coaching uh, for full-time opportunities. Uh, so I didn't think about it for a second. I was literally just finishing my degree. I was finishing my A license. I have been a head coach for two years. It was just the right time to just give it a go. And of course, at the beginning, it was it was just kind of like an experience let's um, let's take a trip let's see how it goes didn't think you know it was going to turn into uh moving full-time into the us 
Uh, I started off in a club coaching some teams, uh, but I think I realized really, really quickly that that's what I wanted to do. And, and here's what I wanted to be because of the amount of opportunity and uh, the amount of respect I felt for me just coming from a different country, how everybody just wanted to hear my story, how they wanted to know who I was, what I had to say. Um, of course, I'm a person that I've always wanted to uh, expand my knowledge and learn from others. And I really wanted to see what people had to had to say about the game here. And, you know, uh, you listed the kind of the, the number of places I've been to, uh, but that's how I got to this country. And that's how I decided that I wanted really to become a full-time coach and, and stay in the U.S. Fantastic story, Mario. I mean that sincerely. I am interested in how, you know, whether it's coaching or other people that come over from different parts of uh, the rest of the world, you know, some of them end up in New York, Florida, California. How was it Michigan that, uh, how'd you find your way to Michigan? Why Michigan? Well, I didn't choose Michigan, <laughs> to be honest. It was more the people that were bringing me over, they kind of had to say to where I was going to go. They mentioned Louisiana actually at the beginning, and that's what I thought I was going for a while. But kind of a last minute uh, change of plans, uh, they said, well, you actually are going to be going to Michigan. And, you know, at that point, it wasn't, it wasn't that big of a deal for me. Um, they had offered me a few places. And as a Spaniard, when I checked the weather and the different options they gave me, uh, when I checked the winters in Michigan, it kind of scared me a little bit because uh, <laughs> I, I had never experienced that. But I, I, you know, through being in Michigan and falling in love with Michigan, and now it's been seven years uh, in here, I learned that I'm a very adaptable person, that I actually enjoy the cold winters and just being at home, uh, enjoy the seasons, enjoy the, the, the contrast you get from one to the next. I just really like Michigan. It's, it's a huge part of, of my life. My wife is from, from Michigan, actually. Uh, so, you know, really have Michigan family now, plus everybody I've gotten to know in seven years. It's, it's, it's just really home for me now. That's awesome. Yeah, I love Michigan. I, I kind of semi grew up in Michigan, spending my summers up near Traverse City from uh, 6 to 16. We had a cottage up on one of the lakes, um, Crystal Lake up there. I mean, Michigan is kind of a hidden gem with its beauty. Um, and, you know, a lot of people, when they think Michigan, they think Detroit, but Michigan is so much bigger than that. And Ann Arbor is a, a special place. Just a quick nugget on Ann Arbor. What an amazing university, right? It's incredible. I love Ann Arbor so much. There's so much to do. You know, as a Spaniard, as a foreigner, the mix of cultures you get here, the amount of people from different places just converge here in this beautiful town. Um, you know, I knew how I, I've been living in this area. I've been in different parts of Michigan, uh, living in, in the Ann Arbor area for four years. And, you know, you kind of really get the right away. You understand the magnitude of the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor and everything that, that surrounds it. Before we get to your inspiration for applying for the 30 under 30, just one more comment on Michigan, and that is how were you able to interface with Jen Klein to get this job, um, which has to be pretty cool, especially knowing the success you had, knowing that you'll be able to look at that trophy forever and maybe more trophies and know that you were a part of it. But how did you make the connection with Jen Klein, who, by the way, I've been super impressed with? As I started to understand how soccer worked in the United States, I didn't take me long to realize that I wanted to coach in college. Um, and it didn't, didn't take me long to realize that I, I like coaching girls over boys. Um, I, you know, back, back in Spain, uh, the female game is growing a lot, thankfully now. Obviously, a long ways to go uh, to be as big as it is in, in here. But I haven't had the opportunity to coach 
uh, any female players because it's just still growing. And six, seven years ago when I was there, it was much smaller than it is today. So that wasn't, that wasn't an option. Uh, when I got over for my first year, I had an opportunity uh, to coach one of my teams was a girls team under 12. They were a C team actually, but I totally fell in love with coaching them. It was so fun. Um, you know, it was just a whole new thing for me. And, you know, that, that, that team that I had really made me uh, and realize how much I enjoy doing it, how much it, it was more about the relationships and about trust and about building confidence. And I'm not saying that's not the way it is on the men's game, but I, for me, because of my personality, that's, that's kind of how I worked out. So, uh, and then as I discovered college, I, I realized I really wanted to coach in college because that, that was kind of my aspiration. Uh, I, I really uh, enjoyed uh, the structure of it, the idea of recruiting players, the idea of bringing them to a school, playing for, for the school that they study for. So I had been trying to get into the college game for a while, uh, but it was hard because, you know, my full-time gig is DOC in uh, Chelsea, which is 20 minutes west of Ann Arbor. Uh, great club, great community nonprofit organization we do uh, do a lot of great things for the community and I really enjoy working for them but that kind of limits your options when it comes to getting into the college world and I had reached out to uh, a few schools in the area just trying to help out I was able to do a little bit with Madonna in 2018 uh, but it was just never the right time or you know a lot of coaches wouldn't really uh, get back or the opportunity just wasn't there there was no space in the rosters right um, so you know I was just thankfully doing well uh, and I couldn't really get to it but then I saw an opening for director of ops uh, at U of M and obviously I want to coach I'm a coach I love coaching but I had to get my foot in the door at some point right so I just reached out to the staff at U of M and, and they interviewed me uh, Jen interviewed me first uh, the associate head coach Katie Holtini interviewed me as well and I had really a very good conversation with both of them I, I I thought there was something that clicked and uh, they later reached out and they said you know we like how you interview we like your resume uh we actually would like you to come in and coach not be the director of ops and <sighs> you know when they when they told me that that was yeah that was a very special moment because you know you've been waiting for an opportunity and you don't think that's going to be the University of Michigan. Uh, you know, it's, it's just not going to be it, right? You're going to yeah. start in a smaller place. You know, as someone that didn't play college in here, you know that if you have the opportunity to play in college, then you can kind of jump into a graduate assistant position. You can kind of just, you don't have any financial obligations, so you can kind of go into it. But for me, it was different. So when I had that opportunity, when that came around, uh, that was an emotional moment, to be honest. That was a very emotional moment because I, I felt so happy. I felt like... You know, I, something I have been waiting for came in the le in the least expected moment, and it was it was incredible. And, and you know, the moment I I came back from Spain because I was in Spain uh, with my family for the summer, uh, I was ready to go. Uh, I have no words to describe what what this staff me means to me and how well they're treating me and and how incredibly talented, incredibly passionate they are. Uh, working for Jen is incredible. Uh, she's just uh, you know, just lives, breathes soccer. Uh, her players are everything to her. She's obviously, her results are, her progression is, is showing that she's, especially, you know, being so young for being a, a head coach in such a big school. And what she's doing, just, just a testament to um, uh, the, her talent and her ability to coach. And I think everybody's starting to realize the caliber of, of 
career as a as a coach, but then also working with uh, uh, Katie and, and Tiff, uh, you know, it's 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 just it's a privilege. They're great coaches. Uh, we get along so well, but they're also incredible people. They gave me a voice from the very beginning. They wanted to hear what I had to say, uh, and I'm learning just so much. It's just being here is just pretty much just being a dream to me. Mario, I have to tell you, and you may not believe it, but I wear my heart on my sleeve. I think you know that about me, even in this you know short time that we spent together. But I think you know that because you've listened to the podcast for so long. That is one of the greatest answers I've ever heard and one of the greatest results that you went in for a director of ops interview and all of a sudden your dream comes true with these special people, all of it. I, I have chills right now, honestly, like <laughs> I've got a sweatshirt on. I mean, it's incredible. <laughs> just a, just a fantastic answer. So that, and then that leads to the 30 under 30, just talk about, you know, your drive to want to be a part of that. And, you know, and then obviously when you found out you were part of it, tell us how that made you feel. It was an email. Uh, I, uh, you know, I was, actually thinking for a, like maybe over a week because I don't know what they they had told us they were going to inform us had applied a couple of times in the past uh, but I was starting to think like you know I didn't make it this year that's too bad but then I got that email uh, I can't remember the exact date a few uh, days later than I expected and it said congratulations you're part of the 30 under 30 program first thing I did I just jumped on my phone I texted uh, Katie Jen and, and Tiff and I told them I made it I made it uh, and they were so excited. They were so excited because, uh, you know, they, they know how important this is for me. They know how much I want to seize every opportunity I have in front of me to grow, to continue to put myself out there, to show people that I really, I want to coach. Uh, I want to, I want to be the best version of, my, of myself. And, and of course they have helped me achieve that goal. Uh, and they were, they were so happy for me. Well, it's interesting, too, because you're pursuing your master's degree at Ohio University. Are you pursuing it or do you have it already? Well, I'm on my last two classes right now. So I have maybe three, four more weeks to go and, and I will be done. And you're fully aware that United Soccer Coaches is very much tied to that. And you're fully aware of what United Soccer Coaches means. But I want to hear from your lips, Mario. This is a great interview. What, Why United Soccer Coaches is important to you and why being part of this 30 under 30 class is important to you? Well, with all honesty, I think United Soccer Coaches kind of represents uh, what I've seen that other places don't have. Just building pride on on being a coach, building pride on we are here because we love what we do. We really love the coaching experience. We love the relationships we build with the players. We're really proud of it, proud of it. Everybody kind of unites around that thought. Uh, so when I realized, when I started to understand what United Soccer Coaches represented in this country, uh, it made me really you know, value the opportunity of being here, the opportunity of building connections with other coaches, other members of the organization. Uh, my first convention was Chicago in 19. I enjoyed that so much. I wasn't really, you know, I didn't know what that was about until I, I set foot on it. Uh, I got out of the snow and then I walked into the building and I was like, wow, this is massive. This is huge. There's so many people. There's so many opportunities to, uh, you know, listen to people that really know different about different fields of, of the game and, and getting to know some new people. Of course, Baltimore was a huge one too. Um, then COVID hit, but I was connected with, uh, obviously I, I attended the virtual convention as part of my uh, master's program. We were doing quite a bit of work uh, in the convention. Uh, and then looking forward to Kansas City. Um, I had a lot of reasons to go before I knew I was gonna be part of the 30 under 30. 
you know, we couldn't get together as a group, uh, as an Ohio University soccer coaching master's degree group before. So I knew that we were planning to get together, get to put some faces to the names we've been seeing for the last two years over a screen. Jen is presenting, so I really wanted to be there for that. And just overall, the experiences, obviously, that I, I just don't want to miss. But the fact that I'm now in the 30 under 30, really, I'm going to be I'm going to be quite busy those days. <laughs> well, you're, you're, I know you're going to be busy, but I'm going to tell you right now that I want you to come by Podcast Row. You come by, I'll have you sit down and we'll do a different podcast talking about how Michigan did in the NCAA tournament uh, and your future. I know you know my next question is coming. It's always my last question. I know you know what it is. It has something to do with something crystal and something with a ball. But, uh, you know, I love asking <laughs> the question, the 10 years from now question, Mario. So perhaps you've thought about it. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you're just living in the present, which I respect as well. But I get the feeling with how sharp you are and how you've jumped at the right opportunity you might have some aspirations 10 years down the road so here it goes crystal ball 10 years from now Mario Zaningo Gill where are you going to be I do think about it sometimes uh, but I, I do think that the fact that I found myself in this in this place uh, has kind of made me finally feel I'm on the right path you know for a while I was enjoying myself so much doing other things you know doing club doing high school I really enjoyed every minute of it but in the back of my head, I just really wanted to start to build my way up into, into the college game. Um, when this opportunity came around, I finally realized now I'm starting really to take real steps. That's also the reason why I started to get my master's because I, I, I thought it was going to be a big part of being able to, to be a college coach is getting your master's and my bachelor's degree is not from a U.S. organization. So that was a big step. Uh, I always wanted to, to coach college. And I think if you asked me before setting foot at U of M, that I was happy to coach pretty much, you know, at any level, wanted to be a head coach someday. But now that I've experienced this, I guess it kind of has spoiled me a little bit and just really want, aspire to, to coach at the, at the Power 5 level. I think the professional game is great, but I don't think it's for me personally. I just really enjoy the college experience. Maybe in a very far future, the national team world will appeal to me but it's just really the college part of it that I really enjoy. So, you know, I know what it takes for me to get to where I want to get. I need to keep learning. I think Michigan right now is the best place for me because of the people that surround it, because of the amazing players that we're lucky to have here, because of the institution that it, that it represents. Uh, but, you know, sometime in the future, I know I will hopefully move into a, full-time assistant position with a big school. I think that's my aspiration. And then ultimately, I, I know that my dream is to be a head coach in a Power 5 school. Great answer. I want to end with this because I am a big believer in tipping points and special moments. And I will be forever bound to you because you walked up to me and said, hey, this is who I am. I'm part of the 30 under 30. I'm looking forward to my interview. And I love moments like that, Mario. I appreciate that more than you ever know. And you saw my eyes light up as well. Did you know that you were going to do that? I guess you didn't know I was going to practice, but when, when you saw me, did you know you were going to come up and say, hey, I'm looking forward to it? Or did it just come out of the blue? Well, I actually, uh, you know, you were on the sideline first talking to our communications guy and I saw you and I was, honestly, I couldn't recognize you because we were kind of on the field. And then Jen went and started talking to you for a while. We were actually doing penalty kicks at practice. And I really couldn't tell who you were. And then as, as, as we wrap up practice and we're getting everything to the sideline, 
I think I asked Steph who 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 that person was, and she said, "Oh, that's Dean Lincoln." I said, "Oh, no, no way! That's, is that Dean?" <laughs> uh, you know, because I've obviously heard your voice over podcast a lot. Uh, I've heard you call Big Ten games, and I just didn't recognize you. I had never guessed, never seen you in person. So uh, <laughs> I was like, obviously, I need to introduce myself and say, like, "Hey, you know, I have, I've, I've listened to your previous two. 30 under 30 interviews. I know you have 28 to go. I guess I'm, I don't know when that's going to be, but like, <laughs> nice to meet you, right? And, and you went, oh, let's, you know, give me your phone number. We'll do, we'll do yours next. Like, oh, great. <laughs> yeah. Actually, like you said before, the timing is perfect, right? And thankfully, uh, the next day we, we beat Rutgers and, and it made for a even better story. So. Yeah, indeed. And, and for folks at home, I actually did not head to the Newark airport until I found Mario to lock in his, uh, his interview time and everything else as Michigan is the Big Ten Women's Soccer Tournament champions. Maria Zeninga Gill is a member of our 30 under 30 class. He's a part of the Michigan women's coaching staff. And what a great interview. One of the best ever 30 under 30 interviews. I'm saying that and that's staying in there. And Mario, good luck in the NCAA tournament. Bring it home. Go blue. Mario, congrats on all your success. Dude, thank you so much for having me on the show. I really enjoyed talking to you. Looking forward to to what's coming with the national tournament and go blue. How fun are these members of our 30 under 30 class, including Mario Zeninga Gill. I want to thank all of our guests today An impactful show. also want to thank the great people at United Soccer Coaches like Sean Chevro, Erica Dyer, Bailey Conklin, and the rest of the gang. For each and every one of them, as well as our producer, Colin Thrash, I'm Dean Linke saying we'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Thanks for listening to the weekly United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. To learn more, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org and teamsnap.com.